Welcome to episode 2 of Veterans Issues UK. In this episode I'm going to talk about my charity, the Armed Forces Bikers. I'm going to talk about how it was formed and also the sort of work that it does and the type of people that volunteer to help us and where I see the AFB going in the future. Before I talk about that though, I want to talk about podcasts that are coming up in the future. And one of the podcasts will be on mental health first aid um, with a speaker and I'll introduce him near at the time. And also I have somebody lined up who's a serving PTI who has a degree in positive psychology um, and he has an interesting take on mental health issues within the veterans and the armed forces community as well. I also have a uh, SAFA caseworker and who has does various works and helps out veterans and he's going to give us uh, his insight also on veterans issues and particularly focusing on mental health. So I've got a number of podcasts lined up and it won't always be me talking but hopefully we'll be able to draw some actual expert advice. So you may say to yourself well why am I doing this? There's lots of mental health help out there and and what makes you special, <laughs> what makes you the spokesman, or why are you actually doing this podcast? Well, I think I explained the why in my last podcast, but in this particular podcast, I'm going to talk about my inroads into helping people through the Armed Forces Bikers Veterans Charity that started out as a motorcycle group called Army Bikers, which was mainly an internet-based support group for veterans through a forum that started to meet together until the project went horribly wrong. And in the second segment, I'm going to talk a little bit about what went wrong and out of the ashes came the Armed Forces Bikers, which morphed into a charity. So sit back and buckle in while I talk to you about the origins of the Armed Forces Bikers. Back in 2008, I'd been left the forces for about four years and I, for a couple of years, was finding my feet in the civilian world, which wasn't too much of a problem for me at the time, having served 26. It was an adventure, it was an exciting new world of teaching and all the nerves that go along with it. So I was preoccupied at the time. And in those years, I didn't really miss the forces at all. 
although there were strange occurrences which brought me back to my service career. Um, I remember going into a new learning centre while I was doing teacher training. I was working for a Darlington College for Technology and their sort of centre in Catrick Garrison. And there was a co-worker there, uh, she was in her 60s at the time, and she saw me walk in and was staring at me. Um, and later she sort of had tears in her eyes. And she sort of kept looking at me throughout the day and it made me very self-conscious. And then someone came up to me, one of her friends, and said, did you do the funeral for a Battle of Britain Spitfire pilot while you were a warrant officer in the Irish Regiment? And I said, yes, in Catrick Village. And she said, well, that was Shirley's dad. And she brought in the next day pictures of me doing the coffin drill and giving her dad a good send-off. So those years I had little reminders like that, that I was or had been in the forces. But after a couple of years, I was teaching full time in a sixth form college, A-level computer science. A degree that I'd finished or had started in the military and finished just as I got out and went on to do a postgraduate certificate in education. Um, and it was at that time that I started to get itchy feet. I mean, it was a two, three year point where you'd normally get posted or think about a change in direction. I'd already got involved with the Harley Davidson group and was riding motorcycles in a group, something that I'd done very much on my own up until then. And I'd formed a little group of my own um, in Teesside, a fledgling, what I thought was going to morph into an MCC. Um, but a few events happened which led me away from them and led me into a period of depression where I'd lost direction, things weren't working out in my life and I was kind of lost and I think what got me a, a little bit as well is I started being very melancholy about things and while I was in Iraq in 2003 um, I was there for the war phase and afterwards I was involved in a lot of projects building schools and water projects and sort of health centres, all of which I thought I was doing good. And it was about that time of the year when, or at that time when Iraq was really going wrong and all the projects and everything that I'd done had just gone to rat shit. And I saw it on a documentary 
and I was sad for both my interpreter Etab, who worked with me in Iraq, and the Iraqi workers that worked for me, but all the good that we'd attempted to do and the difficulties. And that made me feel sort of helpless in a way and didn't really feed well into the sort of depression that I got into at the time. And then I discovered um, a group called Army Bikers. Um, it's 2008, and in 2008, they, they were a very, very fledgling group. Not really a group at all. It was a person who set up a website and a shop, and also a forum, um, all with the aim of selling motorcycle patches and we had a back patch um, which I bought one and at the end of 2008 I signed up for the forum and became a member of Army Bikers I suppose an honorary member at the time because of the fact that I'd worked on the platoon commander's division for a few years as a flight sergeant in the IRF regiment as an instructor at the School of Infantry I don't know. There was um, increasingly through to 2010 when the majority of the people that are now thought of within the AFB as the old school, the old guys, that's when they sort of turned up. Because throughout 2009, it was a very quiet affair. Um, but in 2010, the army bikers flourished and began to turn into a bit of a banter site and there was a lot of camaraderie and a lot more people joined from the other services like the navy and the marines the the ref um, so there was a great deal of support and there was a few people that had joined who weren't forces at all, but were forces friendly. So army bikers was beginning to wear thin as a term to describe this bunch of people. But I would say we're around about 60 strong, I should think, all over the place. Although the nucleus of it was um, in North Yorkshire. And there was about 15 of us that used to ride around together and go down to Whitby and and sort of roam around having a good time. Um, and in 2010 uh, we decided or it was decided that they were going to have their first meet at Helworth Bridge and that before that it all started to implode because what people thought and what the t-shirt had said at the time um, was that the army bikers were supporting veterans um, through charitable purposes we were raising awareness raising f um, not exactly raising funds ourselves but 
and we were going to events and rides where money was raised at the back black rat run um and we managed the the person who was in charge i'm going to mention any names for reasons probably legal reasons um but the person who was running army bikers at the time um was persuaded to uh, give some of the money that he earned on these patches and um, the online shop that he built up on of making a lucrative business out of to donate £500 on behalf of the army bikers, which he did do. And the website at the time said, um, buy patches and from our shop and a percentage will go to veterans charitable need. What we later found out is that a percentage... <laughs> was a true term and it was something like 0.2 of a percent of the money was going to veterans charitable need um, later on after things have gone wrong graham bevin who was our webmaster a civilian who was a very friendly person and still is to this day by giving us a free website and forum and really hosting our online presence he found out through the accounts that about £27,000 of the money raised in the shop had mostly gone into the previous owner of the, what I would term business, um, Army Bikers, gone into his conservatory car and his other interests. But worse still, he'd handed over um, to Graham his PC for some maintenance and he'd found some dubious uh, content on it which was um, I don't even want to say it really let's put it this way it was pornography of the worst kind not the normal squatty stuff but more at the lower end in the age bracket and it all imploded um, Hellworth Bridge when it was supposed to be a celebratory meeting of us all getting together as army bikers was preceded by um, conversations about burning the patches and starting all over again and people were running around trying to make some sense about what was going on and people left in disgust and we met there and this guy actually turned up and uh Although he denied everything, um, he was ostracised by everybody and it was clear that it couldn't go on as it was. And three of us got together around in a house. It was Glenn, myself and Tony Moore. Um, and we talked about you know, making a name that was more inclusive to the the way we were at the time and uh, i think it was tony that came up with the term armed forces bikers but everybody had a equal investment in it nobody was really in charge there was a few what we call forum admins but nobody was down in charge of the organization so the army bikers was formed in around 2011 um or 2010, because of 2011 was the first AFB 500, really. 
Um, and I can remember sitting in a manor calf, which was born about the time, or was it came in fruition about the time, manor calf in Yorkshire near Bellaby, for those people who remember Catrick um, and the ranges up near there. Um, there's a calf on a manor farm that used to, or started out hosting biker nights and the armed forces bikers, what we used to, became known as the headshed, the leadership of the group would meet up there and people would travel from Bedford and London and Wales and Cornwall to come up to us on a weekend to meet us. And uh, uh, Mick, a guy that we knew, designed, or knew a designer that designed our round or badge. And it started out. And really it carried on as a forum entity. <coughs> um, um, like it was before. Uh, and I've, I felt that it was still directionless. People we lost we decided to get rid of the back patch because it was not conducive with the biker community um we felt it wasn't respectful and we wanted to start out as something different um and one day in the manor calf in the pouring rain i hatched up a pan myself sue my my wife and gaza we sat there with the only bikers in the in, the, in a Wednesday biker meet and I went outside and I phoned up the guy that owned army bikers at the time. This is, I'm skipping back a bit really here. And I asked to buy him out um, and what was his price? And eventually after a bit of negotiation, he decided to give me all the stock that he had and state that he would not sell any more patches or have anything to do with the brand or to attempt to do anything like that again um, for a couple of thousand pounds and myself and Glenn went down to Santander to talk to a business manager and we um, made a bank account and, and, and my mission at the time was to form a charity wing um, because we still had the biker group, the social, the forum, and and the meets that we were planning for the future. But my mind was very much focused on getting the £27,000 back. It was a sort of obsession of mine at the time. And that became increasingly more important as I felt that going on as before was losing people People were beginning to disengage from the forum. Um, there was a lot of squabbling. And it eventually led to a big row. And I'm not going to go into the depth we call, we term it as the shitstorm. And it's whenever an, a new organisation finds its feet. It's like the Tuckman's. Um, he came up with the philosophy of uh, forming any normal um organization and he said that you would um, form storm norm and perform so we formed as the um, 
Armed Forces bikers and then we did we storm. There was a lot of things said and done and it's another story for another day. The roots of that because only uh, last year I found out why that all happened. Um, in my mind I, I think I've come to the truth but it was very bemusing to me at the time that I was under attack and the people that were in who wanted the charity side were under attack and there's two things I learned out of that one is that people characterize you and what you stand for you may say words but then but people take them into their heads and they apply their own experiences to them and what's happened to them and they interpret them very differently to what you meant them to be uh, so it's really a projection everything you say is owned by somebody else and they put their interpretation on what you said and and I can say with hand on heart that a lot of what I was accused of or done was probably 99% myth well I would say that wouldn't I <laughs> but anyway I digress um, the other thing I learned about was a thing that I call the silent majority um, and I was famously told on the phone by one of the valued members as they used to call themselves that there, this was the people were disgruntled with the the way I was going trying to form a charity like I was at the time and they sort of said that you are the disgruntlement you're seeing and the, the hassle that you're getting is just the top of the iceberg that you can see on the top of the water and there's this big support underneath this big iceberg underneath that's going to I'm going to crash into like the Titanic and sink um, but the reality of that became apparent later on whereas the, the people that are making all the noise were really the noisy minority and the silent majority were the ones that won the day. Not me. My ideas were there and the direction and my vision of what I wanted the charity to be was there. But it was really up to the membership at the time whether or not that was ever going to happen. And in my mind, I mean, history is always written by the victors. I don't see it as a victory. I just see it as a change in the direction of an organisation. From my own perspective, thank goodness that huh, it was nervous times that we got the support that we needed to go forward. And it really came to a head in um, when we ran our first 500 in 2011 and people went for it. They, um, I was at the sort of voted in by the headshed, not the membership as the sort of chairman although it wasn't official until the AGM um, that we had uh, in 2000 and I would say 2013 um, and 2012 13 when we 2012 when we got together and decided um, to go for charity status 
that's when I became officially the chairman of the AFB. But before that, um, we had the AFB 500 and it was really, I wanted to raise money towards this £27,000. So I hatched up a 500 mile course and we invited members to ride round and it was quite popular. There was a lot of sponsorship and people went above and beyond. And at the time, it was quite, you know, it was quite humbling because we raised, we all, lots of us did, the 500 from the manor and they opened the premises to us for camping. Um, we were all a little younger, younger then, so we didn't need all the facilities. Um, and we had beer and, um, and good times. And on Friday, we were easing off a bit. And those that ride the 500 took between um, 12 and something like, in some cases, 16 to 18 hours to get round this route. I remember standing there nervously about 11 o'clock at night, waiting for the last riders to come in who'd popped into McDonald's. <laughs> I only found out later, very hungry person that Mr. Chappers was at the time. <laughs> but it would made me nervous thinking that something terrible had happened to them. But we raised £5,000 and that's when I started to look into and went to a charity advisor in Darlington called Evolution, who started to teach me about becoming part of a charity. They were a consultancy. Um, and we were making money out of the shop and we were trying to form the charity from that, putting money into projects. And that's what it was at the time, making money out of the shop, selling back patches and things like that. It's quite lucrative. We weren't so much going out collecting them, but we were doing sponsored stuff. There was a bit of collecting. And um, support our soldiers, SOS charity, were very, very instrumental in forming the Armed Forces Bikers in the early day because they allowed us to use their charity number in order to make collections if we helped them with their box appeal that they used to do to send out to troops who were in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and such. So basically, we needed to form a charity and, and and I set out to do all the research. So I spent the rest of 2011 preparing for the AGM in 2012 to start to form the charity. And that's really when the trouble started throughout that year, the winter of discontent, discontent as we say. Um, John Snow sort of summed it up in Game of Thrones, you know, winter is coming. <laughs> It was a term in the AFB every year for a few years after that. It was a very nervous time for the um, headshed of the Armed Forces bikers when people reached the end of riding season and then the disgruntlement would start and the criticism. But that's humans for you, isn't it? Um, so in 2012, we had uh, our first AGM at railway station or converted railway station in Richmond and not long after that we started to lose a lot of people um, because they for a start they didn't believe we would make it to be a charity or they didn't feel that it was the right thing that we should be doing 
they wanted to keep it as a, a, a group that were socially meeting and doing what they did before. Um, so that's when the terms came in that, you know, we should we should carry on and and I don't think I was very popular in some people's eyes as the chairman pushing towards making more money. And we were starting to make money at that time. Our first effort to become a charity was sort of um, sent back to the drawing board. We had to look at our objectives again. Um, and we had an, an emergency general meeting. And after the AGM to, to vote in the last parts that we would need to become a charity. And then we became a charity in July of 2012 and uh, I think it was July 24th don't quote me on that one I haven't got me cut with me so I can't really see it but we were established as the AFB in 2011 but we actually became a charity in 2012 and that when people started to leave and that was the first winter of discontent leading up to our AGM in a um, working man's club or it's an ex-service club yes it was on the Catholic garrison where we'd literally had half the members left but we were beginning to do some good at that time we were sort of giving to other charities we were donating to organizations like um you know help for heroes and and we were raising money for other people so we were gathering money in and giving it to causes you know respite homes for veterans you know and various projects that were out there there was a horse project in Scotland that we we were very close to and we went up and did a, a ride called Back to Basics organised by one of our Scottish Scottish area reps, Dunkey. And we rode around Scotland. It was really enjoyable that was. Back to basics was a good term for it. And we went up to um this horse riding place where they were using um, American riding techniques to help veterans who had mental health problems so we started giving to them and then I sort of spoke to Evolution about how we could be a charity in our own right and I wanted to I looked at the model of charities that were out there and thought there's a problem with other charities in my mind in the fact that they were sort of very big very bureaucratic move very slowly and i'm not disrespecting them because they're, they're much bigger than us these are multi-millionaire multi-million pound charities but they had big wage bills and they were getting a lot of criticism um fairly and unfairly depending and a lot of things that go on social media are not very well researched so there's a lot of misunderstandings um, wage bills could be nurses and could be workers that direct caseworkers that directly help veterans so they need paying but I wanted to try and do something that would be 
a bit more pure than that. I had uh, the ethical idea that we would not give expenses, we would not take any wages, we would not invest, we would not do anything, but we would we would be an organisation that would, when the public put money into our buckets, 100% of it would go to charity or into veterans and their dependents and charitable need. And, and I am proud to say that is still true to this day. Every single penny that's been donated to the AFB um, since our formation has gone to veterans and charitable needs. So we started out a grant policy and we started to um, get known in small groups um, of veteran help centres and, and veteran projects started to find out that we could give small grants at the time. It was about 1,000 to 1,500 out to veterans to get them started um, in jobs, bonds and things. And we began to formulate what we could and couldn't do. And we had exemptions and found our niche. And what we could do is work very quickly. And at the time I was doing the lion's share of the grants myself. Um, I had my wife Sue and Stevie P, who was the other trustee as a secretary, who did grants from time to time. Um, but we three sort of um, were the trustees and we had a group of other people called the Headshed collectively who would run the AFB. And there were a lot of growing pains. There was a lot of disgruntled people that went off at the time that didn't believe that we were going in the right direction. There were splinter groups that set off that were opposed to us and very vocal about it. But like all things, I just we just ploughed through because we wanted to do this thing. And we very quickly made the £27,000 back and we've pushed on and on in the future until now we're very, very close to half a million pounds having been raised. And we've got a website called www.armedforcesbikers.co.uk and you can see on there, if you click on grants and grant policy, what we actually do. And if you go to a charity, our charity essentials part, you can see that where we've spent the money and what we spend the money on. And we publicise everything that we do and you can share the pages and you can see the totals on there. Um, we got Martin Daniels. Um, who's Paul Daniels' son. Um, I was Debbie McGee and Paul Daniels and Martin Daniels, who I remember as a kid as um, a, a younger magician and comedian. And uh, basically um, he became, he was a motorcyclist and he became our, our patron and a very good one too. Um, and we went from strength to strength and the Armed Forces Bikers currently has around about 230 to 250 members at any one time. We're a side-patched uh, motorcycle group who raise funds for veterans and their dependents and charitable need. And there are now seven trustees and all of those are unpaid. And we have two grant managers plus myself that deal with grants. 
and we're really the interface between um, the members who are split into, I think at one time we had 16 regions, but I think we've got about 12, 14 regions now that stem from um, Southwest, Southeast, Midlands, all the way up the country through Scotland and Northern Ireland. And they have area reps and membership who, who do a really good job in collecting funds, they're the engine for the AFB. And I think we've made a difference. And why I think we've made a difference is because other charities tell us that. We have had good feedback from Help for Heroes, Royal British Legion, um, various veteran groups like Finkel Group. Um, there's um, groups in Liverpool, in Cornwall, Dorset, um, all over the country that know who the Armed Forces bikers are and the work that we do and often push vulnerable veterans to us. And that gets me on to the next phase of the armed forces bikers because we're nearing half a million pounds that we've given out to help veterans directly and this is tangible help we're like a stepping stone charity what we do is we're not a big player we can't do long-term support if you look at our grant policy what we actually do is we target those who are just falling or on their knees or people that have fallen into bad times due to break up in marriages to um, PTSD or other issues that have happened to them. They just can't make their way in civilian life and they need a foot up. And the trouble with, and this is where I found the niche in the charity world, is that there is a period of time where vetting goes on and where caseworkers come out and talk to people. But some of these people need help straight away. One of our early cases was to get one of our ex-members off the streets and he'd fallen on hard times and we helped him out, got him into some accommodation where he could get his back on his feet and then eventually get back in um, back into his normal life again and find a job and that's what we started to do and that's what we've continued to do and I can say on behalf of the members that I can say to them that you you have all made a difference really a tangible difference to veterans in charitable need and I know that because myself and the grant managers it's very humbling when we get the feedback from the veterans and because there is sort of data protection and we and we, we do put up a charities update where we say how we spend the money, but we don't mention names um, because it's confidential. Not everybody likes the world to know that they've had to come to a charity for help. We're all very proud people, um, us ex-servicemen. But those people are grateful for what we do. Um, but like 
there's always the bad side, isn't there? Like um, ambulance drivers and emergency services, you always get. And it's very rare, but you get attacked as well. We've had uh, veterans with severe mental health problems. We've had con people try to to uh, badmouth us, or even uh, we've had death threats. <laughs> Um, very rare, but um, the trustees have to deal with these sort of people and we have a sort of zero tolerance where that's concerned. So where do I see the AFB going in the future? It's a very, very successful organisation that gets people back on their feet and we, we work as a small cog in a great big conglomerate of veterans charities. Well, one thing I believe is that veteran charities shouldn't be insular and work on their own we should learn there's loads of charities out i can't remember how many there are there's a guy on youtube at the moment um first into sangren he um, put up and he started a petition which is to make the forces armed forces covenant um enshrined in law and uh, if you go to my um facebook feed you'll see the link to that and i'll put it actually in the podcast blurb as well so that you can click on that and sign that petition just about to go for another AGM after a COVID period and during the COVID-19 period we went through not such a difficult time because although we had to change what we did the way we are set up with no with with only the minimum of overheads we need it's it, it's it's remarkable how much a charity needs to run financially you can't even a charity that doesn't pay any wages has to have accountants you have to have secure databases in the cloud you have to have certain software to register your membership so you have to have id cards you have to comply with charity uh, law we have to become members of things like the fundraising regulator which all costs money so it's a few thousand pounds a year that we have to find and we um, we use our online shop to to fund that um, and we went for a difficult time because all the money at the end of the year gets passed over to the charity um, so that means that it's completely non-profit the only shareholder is the charity so nobody makes any money not even on our AFB trading side um, and they went through a difficult time because once we um, handed over all the money, it, we zero the bank account. And of course, COVID happened and we got no money in. We couldn't sell anything. So therefore, we're racing towards our next um, period of where we have to pay for all our governance and with no money at all. So I started to go um, fund me appeal and we managed to raise a couple of thousand pounds to cover our overheads which i would like to thank everybody that donated to that knowing that it wasn't going to veterans of charity need it was just holding up a charity uh, to make sure that it didn't fall but we've continued our charity work 
and we're on about £95,000 for the year that we've actually donated to veterans in charitable need um, for our year and that's that's brilliant because last year outside the COVID it was just under that so we've grown in our, um, our help to veterans year on year and I should think that soon it will be regularly over a hundred thousand a year um, and much more and that sounds small fry to the bigger charities but to a small stepping stone charity like that it's a massive achievement I think and a credit to all our membership. So where do I see us going? Well, I'm starting a, a new manifesto for um, the next AGM, which will be from 2021 to 2024, where I'm setting out new things for us to do. And I'm not going to talk too much about that here. Perhaps that will form a later podcast once that's been decided. And I'd like to thank you for listening. And uh, I wish you all well and healthy life. And if you are struggling, like I said at the end of the last podcast, reach out to somebody, talk to somebody, pick up the phone, talk to your friends. And those people who are lucky enough to not be suffering at this time or who don't suffer from such issues, look out for those people that do. And again, my plea is to all those people that are looking for attention, lower the volume, like I said before, so that we can see clearly who really needs help. And I'll stop there. Good night. Mm -hmm.